0: I just shared with the kids about an incident in my own life when I lost it. And believe me, growing up, I had more lost it episodes than loving episodes. Being the eldest of seven, um, I had a lot of challenges because I was the oldest, therefore I was supposed to already know. And I was the one that was responsible for taking care of the family when my parents were gone. And I was the one. And there was a lot of weight put on me as the eldest. And there were times when I really felt like I was being put upon and it was not fair. And I wasn't I wasn't pleased with the way that people were treating me. And literally, I got to the point where I couldn't wait to get out of that house. Literally, I got to that point. Now, my parents loved me desperately. They, they truly did. My parents sacrificed sacrificed immensely for me. My dad used to have to work three jobs at one point just to keep food on the table, clothes on our backs. And my mom loved us to the best of her ability with all that she had. And sometimes we just didn't appreciate it and we didn't understand and we didn't accept it. But now that I'm old, remember... In 1 Corinthians, we read this morning, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid. I thought like a kid. I responded like a kid. But now that I'm old, now that I'm a man, I put away all those childish things and I recognize the actions that I did then were not necessarily the best choices that I made. And I've tried, like like Ida said in our, in our thing, sometimes if you mess up, you have to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, how can I make it right? And so I have spent 20 plus years of my life trying to... Not reestablish relationship, but to write the relationships that I had broken and damaged through various choices and things that I've done. And as I was reflecting this morning on what we're looking at this morning. That was something that really struck a chord with my heart was this, this idea of choosing to love regardless. We've been looking in the book of First John. And we are continuing in our look of First John. But before we get there this morning, I need to take us into Genesis. So, if you have a Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me, we're going to be reading out of the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very first book in the in the Bible. The fourth chapter um, deals with two brothers. One of the brothers' name was Cain. The other brother was Abel. And the thing that I, honestly, I've read this, I don't know how many times in my life. Probably hundreds of times. But for the very first time this week, I realized that Cain is the older of the two. I always alphabetized the names. I always thought Abel was older. But it's not. Cain is the older of the So he should have known better. Because he's the older one. How dare he act the way he acted? You hear the irony there? But let's read how Cain acted <clears throat> now Adam and Eve, his wife, excuse me now Adam knew Eve, his wife, which that's Bible talk for they had sex. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man from the with the help of the Lord," and again she then bore. His brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the ground, excuse me, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. What that literally means is that he pouted. His face fell. He was not a happy person. The Lord then said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then, we're not told how much time has passed from that moment until the next, but some time had to have passed. Because the next action that we read about Cain is not something that would have happened just because one offering got rejected. Something had to happen. But as we read in verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And the footnote of my Bible says, Cain asked his brother to go with him out into the field. And when they were in the field, chapter 4, verse 8, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine talking to God like that? What's it to me? What do I care about where he's at? I'm not in charge of him. (laughs) And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now, here's the rest of the curse. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. He was a farmer. This was his livelihood. And the curse of God is that he's no longer going to be able to be an effective farmer. You shall now be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden and I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, not so. Because if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And the the story continues. But there's some very interesting, frustrating, challenging, crazy things we see going on here. First of all, I am not going to talk about Adam and Eve's abilities as a mother and father and their parenting skills. I can't talk about that. Because we're not given any of that. But I can tell you that from what we see here, there had to be sibling rivalry going on between Cain and Abel. There had to be. Why would he get so upset? Because Abel's offering got accepted and mine wasn't. Well, who, am I? who is he? Am I my brother's keeper? Go ask for him yourself. I don't need to know where he's at. There had to be some kind of an animosity, some type of a constant between the two of them from the time they were little. And the thing that's crazy, go back to 1 Corinthians and Paul's words, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became an adult, when I became a, a, a man, I gave up my childish ways. Well, Cain in this story is a man. He's not a little boy. He's already a farmer producing a crop. And he's still stuck in his whatever, his dysfunctional stuff from his childhood. Now, I'm not making any excuses because in today's age, if you're dysfunctional, that just means you need some help. But the reality is, in his dysfunction, he chose very badly. In his dysfunction, he literally murdered his brother. And I don't know if you have ever studied this or know anything about it, but in Hebrew culture, this story is the most heinous crime that you could ever discuss. The killing of one's own sibling. So all of Israel, whenever they talk about the most heinous thing you could ever do, they refer back to this story. Whenever a teacher wants to point out how bad you're acting, they start talking about Cain and his attitude. Now, think about what was going on in Cain's heart and mind. Why would he have responded this way? Well, first of all, if you go back to verse 3 or 4, I think it is. Here it is, verse 4. It was verse 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. He was a farmer. He took some of his produce, put it in a basket, and offered it to God. Listen to the wording about Abel's offering. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So what Abel did, we're told just in those few words, Abel took the best of the best that he had and offered it to God. The wording in chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that Cain simply threw something together and offered it to God. That's good enough. I just need to give him something to placate him. He's a a very jealous and messy God. He just needs needs us to give him some honor so that we can get on with our lives and he'll bless us. So here, take something, God. And God said, I don't think so. I don't think so, Tim. Sorry, Tim. (laughs) that's an expression sorry that's a long time ago sorry I never had a Tim in my congregation before (laughs) Um, Abel gave the best that he had Cain just gave and God didn't accept it what would have been the next response appropriately on Cain's behalf go back to what Ida said I recognize that I messed up, God. I'm sorry for what I did. How can I make it right? That's what would have been the right and appropriate response. What did Cain do? (laughs) Again, he likes my brother better than me. Just the same way it always happens. Cain, Cain, Cain. All all they ever do is talk badly about me. But anytime Abel gets talked about, Abel this and Abel that. Oh, he gave the best. (laughs) Hate him. The very first time that word came into Cain's mouth from his heart was the beginning he started walking a path that brought him to ultimately his spiritual death. He lost access to God. Because if you read later on in the book of, uh, in, in the uh, in the fourth chapter. The very end of the fourth chapter. Verse 26. It says. At that time. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. Prior to that time. They could just talk with God face to face. But now they had to call on the name of the Lord. in worship. And so. Cain literally gave, because he said when he was fussing about the punishment, he said, my punishment, verse 13, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You have driven me away from the ground and from your face. I can no longer see you. This isn't fair. Just because I messed up once, this isn't fair. See, there's this, there's this attitude, this mindset of Me, mine. why do I always have to pay the price? It's, there's this selfishness, which goes right back to what we understand from our theology as the carnal nature. There's this constant desire for me to get the best and to always have what I want and not have to submit to anything or anybody else. It's me, 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 me. And until that can be broken and or removed and or righted, however you want to look at it, you cannot be in right relationship with God or anybody else because it's always about you. And as I said, this story throughout all of Hebrew teaching is pointed to as the most heinous of things that one could do murdering one's own sibling and the root of that sin was self a constant desire for me me mine mine How come I'm not good enough? Why couldn't you accept my offering? I gave you an offering. You asked for it. I did what you asked. So it's not as great as my brother's, but it's still an offering that I gave. Why can't you accept it? And you see, like I said, verse 8, from 7 to 8, there's a period of time where this, this constant... I don't feel good about myself, I don't like the way the world treats me, gets worse and worse and worse, and it begins to just sour in him until the moment comes out when he finally says, I hate him. And then the hate is then allowed to grow further until it literally becomes an act of murder. And see, in verse verse 8, the footnote says, He said, let's go out to the field. Some some manuscripts don't have that phrase, so we cannot definitively say that it was in the original manuscripts, but we can say that they did go out to a field. We can say that he did indeed kill his brother. Did he plan to lure him out to a field and kill his brother, or did it just happen in a fit of rage? We don't know. We're not given that. What we do know is that something happened and Cain snapped and he crossed the line beyond which there was no return. And then instead of confessing and repenting and falling on his face before God in humility, he hides it. I would, again, we're not given it in scripture, but I would venture he dug a shallow grave. And he buried his brother because the Bible says that the Lord says to Cain, your brother Abel's blood is crying out to me from the ground. There's a there's an understanding in my mind that he is in the ground and God sees all of it. And he's not going to let this go by unnoticed and unconfronted. Now, let's go to first John. John chapter 3 and the section of scripture that we're looking at is chapter 3 verse 11 all the way through to the end of the chapter verse 24 but we're only going to read uh, chapter 11 I mean chapter 3 verse 11 through verse 16 for this morning we'll, we'll go on to the rest of it next week chapter 3 verse 11 out of the, out of the book of 1st John for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer... Has eternal life abiding in him by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now depends on what translation you 're reading from. you will read over and over again in footnotes or actually in the text, um, or maybe at least in a commentary that when John wrote the Greek word that's been translated here, brothers, he was talking about the collective family of God. So it was brothers and sisters. It was everyone. It wasn't singling out just the male members. John is saying to the people, you must love. If you don't love, It is literally akin to killing or murder. And we know from all of their history, to call someone like Cain is to accuse them of one of the most heinous things. And the thing that struck me, honestly, I've read this and read this and read this. My whole 43 years as a Christian, I've read this. I can't count how many times. But this week, as if for the very first time, I recognized there was something significantly different about this passage that I guess I was just assuming, and I was wrongly assuming. Now, you heard me talk with the kids this morning. What is the greatest commandment according to scripture? Go ahead, say it out loud. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Every Hebrew child was taught that from the littlest until, been, until they turned 12 and had to say it at their bar or bat mitzvah. It is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then Jesus said, and you are... The second commandment is you must... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think it was Ida said in James chapter two, uh, verse eight, it is the royal law found in scripture, which is to love your neighbor, to treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated. It's still, it's it's a variant on this idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But in John here, we are not seeing him talk about the great commandment nor are we seeing him talk about the second most great commandment. Look at verse, um, excuse me, look at verse 14 again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Who is the object of love? In this sentence. If I, if I say, I know that I have passed out of death into life because I love whom? Who am I loving? Huh? Who are the brothers and sisters? Other believers in Christ. John, in this part of the letter, is not talking about living out the royal law, doing unto others. He's not talking about loving God. with He's saying, you can know that you're a Christian. You can know that you have passed from death into life because you love fellow Christians. And I thought, as I was reading through this and thinking about it, I was like, well, of course that makes sense, but... Where was that in Jesus' teaching? That that's my assurance of my faith. That that's how I can know that I know that I know that I'm saved. Where in the world is that found? Well, guess what? It's there. And guess who recorded it? The same guy who recorded this letter. John. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And, oh look, I even had it circled long before I started studying this scripture for this sermon. So obviously I've seen it before. But it, verses 34 and 35 in chapter 13 of, John, of the Gospel of John says, Jesus speaking, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. The second greatest commandment, according to the law, is to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, in the last moments of his time on earth with his fellows, before he gets arrested, in John chapter 13 says, I'm giving you a new commandment. I give to you that you must love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I will have to admit to you, as in, as humiliating and as embarrassing as this may be, Mr. 43 years a Christian, Mr. been an ordained elder in the church of Nazarene for the last 12 years, has got a master's degree in spiritual formation and a bachelor's degree in Christian counseling and is a graduate of the Bible college. I had to Google, is there a scripture that says they'll know we're Christians by our love? (laughs) I did. And lo and behold, Siri found it for me. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. They, whoever they are, the people who are not part of the church, will know that you're a Christian, that you're one of mine by the way that you love on each other. And it's my commandment to you, my children, my fellows, that you must love one another. In the same way that I have loved you. Now let's go back to 1st John chapter 3. 1st John chapter 3 verse 16. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. This is the command of Jesus in the last hours of his time on the earth. The new commandment that he gave to his fellows. The commandment that when acted upon will tell the world that you are indeed a follower of Christ. The commandment that when acted upon will confirm for you in your own heart of hearts that you can know beyond any question or reasonable doubt that you are indeed a child of the living God. How? If you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and do not hate them. Now, the other thing that was interesting, and I don't have time to go into all of that this morning, but there's a dichotomy in this little passage of scripture. Actually, throughout the, the this whole letter of John, he does a dichotomy between light and darkness, between uh, righteousness and sinfulness, and in this section, between love and hate. There is no in between. One of the scholars I read, they're talking about this passage in this area about this this either or, but not in between. Imagine you're in a completely darkened room. No windows, no cracks, 100% pure dark. And you strike a match. Is the room still dark? No. It is now light-filled. It may not be brightly lit, but even that tiny little flame lightens or brings light to, enlightens is the word, the darkness. It literally casts out the darkness. Now, depending on how strong the flame is and what the lumens are will determine how much the darkness is dispelled. But even the tiniest little flame from a tiny little birthday candle dispels the darkness and the room becomes lit. You can sit in a completely dark space. Have you guys ever been in a place that was completely dark where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face and you struck a match and you could see across the room? I have. Now, I couldn't necessarily see to read across the room, but I could see across the room because the light went that far. That's the power of that tiniest little flame to, to bring light into the darkness. And John's discussion here is that when you love, you love and you bring love. And when you don't love, it's hate. And hate, literally, is the next step before murder. The most heinous thing you could do to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a, well, I like them. I really don't care for them much. I really don't want to be around them, but I have to put up with them because it's you know, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. You only see each other on Sunday. It's okay. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Now, please do not change your facial expressions, okay? Don't start crying because we don't want to know. But I want you to look around the room. Look at the people in this room. Who's the one that you love the least? (laughs) Who is the one that for whatever reason, they get on your nerves? Making you feel a little bit uncomfortable? I hope so. Because the commandment of Jesus is that you need to get up out of your seat. Not right now. And you need to go make it right with that person. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go up and go, oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't loved you, please. But love is a choice. You, you have to follow the command to love. It's not just something that wells up from in you and you don't control it. Now, the emotion of love does well up, I told you this after, this morning as we were finishing our time of prayer, I looked out over this and I was full of love for God and I was full of love for every single one of you and I meant it. I was being intentional as I was standing up here leading worship. I was intentionally looking every single one of you in the eyes for a purpose. And by the time we were done with worshiping God and praying and just focusing on Christ, I opened my eyes and I literally was bursting with love for every single one of you. I literally was. And that's the way each one of you should be experiencing each other. And if you're not, you need to do something about it. Because love is a choice. And love is a command. And if you truly call yourself a Christian, you have no choice but to love your brothers and sisters. And, verse 16 Your love has to be the same as the one who laid down his life for you. Because Matt, remember John chapter 13, 35, the one I had to Google? The commandment is to love your brothers and sisters in the same way that I have loved you because that's how the world will know that you are my followers. So how can you know you're a Christian? You have to love, even when you don't want to. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when they get on your last nerve. And you have to do it in a way that doesn't make them feel bad. Because if all of a sudden you start loving on somebody, they're going to like, What? You didn't like me this whole time? Okay? So be surreptitious about it. Show your love in a nice kind way, but don't go over- overwhelming on them and then they go, oh. And now all everybody in the whole congregation's loving on me? What's the deal? Am I that bad? Okay. But that's the message that I heard the Lord saying this morning. It's not love God. We love God. It's not love your neighbors, yourself. Actually, that's easier than loving your brothers and sisters. Okay? Because when you're with your family, that's what I tried to get across to the kids this morning, when you're in your own home with your own family, that's when you let your guard down. That's when you can be the most unkind and most ugly to each other. And unfortunately... (laughs) That's when the enemy can cause great division and great harm. And like I said, 20 years of me trying to make it up to the people who felt that I had isolated and alienated them. My own family. But I've had to be intentional to rebuild relationship. And to be intentional to literally reach out. And when I contact them, I say to them, I love you. I don't let it go unsaid anymore. Literally, there's not a single member of my family that I can think of at this moment. And I have a large family. We had a picture taken back last May, was it? Uh, no, it was Rachel's, a year, a year ago in October. We had over 70 people gathered at this one family gathering. Okay, so that's... My siblings, their, fam- their husbands and spouses, their, I mean, their husbands and wives, their children, their children's children, my aunt, who's above me. I mean, 70 people standing on that lawn getting their picture taken. And I have had to try to be intentional to make sure that I say I love you to every single one of them. Why? Because I do not want to stand over their grave and have the regret of not having said I love you. And I can say thank God but I've been able to do that with the brothers and sisters, the brother and the parents who have gone already. I stood over their graves and had no regret. I didn't have well a little bit of regret, but but I know that I said I love them, and I know that I demonstrated love to them. The reality is, in this room, same same. You need to love to the point of laying down your life if necessary. Let's pray.